Welcome to the Emergency Medicine Conversations podcast. I'm Dr Louise Tuckwell, a senior CMO working in two southern regional hospitals. The aim of this podcast is to review emergency topics with a rural and regional perspective. The opinions expressed of a general education encourage everyone to check their local guidelines and those of the New South Wales Emergency Care Institute. We're very fortunate to have with us again Dr. Fahadia, a plastic surgeon working in the ACT in Sydney. So thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Now this time we've got a 20-year-old male who presents with a swollen, painful hand after supposedly punching a wall. He has a 5mm laceration over the fourth metacarbophalangeal joint. Now how should we go about assessing this injury? Excellent, actually, case because these are not too uncommon. So the first thing is to, again, fall back on the basic history taking, which involves mode of injury, uh, dominance of hand, background history, whether the patient has had a tetanus update, allergies, general medical conditions, and then, of course, to clinically examine the patient to see what that wound looks like, what the area around the joint looks like, whether it's swollen, whether it's fluctuant, whether there's any discharge, whether it looks cellulitic, mm-hmm. um, whether there's any uh, collection there. But of course, at the end of the day, without an x-ray, you don't know. Mm. Because the ultimate question in this scenario is whether there is a fracture yes, or whether this is just a joint exposure yes, uh, or simple cellulitis. And until you've done an x-ray, you won't know. If you have an x-ray and there's a laceration over the bone, you have to assume mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes that this is an open fracture right. and it needs to be treated as an open fracture. If you've done an x-ray and there is no fracture, but there is swelling around the joint, then the two questions that arise is whether there is infection inside the joint, yep. which is relative emergency because mm-hmm. the articular surface is very sensitive to yes. infection and it can become disrupted and you can end up with significant derangement of motions in the long term, mm-hmm. whether this is just simple cellulitis. Okay. All right. And it's very hard to tell whether the joint is affected by infection or not. The simplest tool that we describe to our training registrars is that generally speaking, and of course you shouldn't bank on this, but generally speaking, infection of the joint is exquisitely tender, meaning that a tiny movement in the joint will be noticed versus a cellulitis where the skin's the place where the most amount of tenderness is. So you can still move the joint a little bit. But of course you shouldn't rely on that. If the x-ray is negative, but you still have redness and tenderness of the MCP joint, you should seek advice from a hand surgery unit, and that hand surgery unit ordinarily would admit the patient and explore the wound. Fantastic. Now, with this history, I usually also check with the patient that they did not, in fact, punch someone as opposed to a wall. And and why is this important? Absolutely. I was just about to go on to the next thing because the next thing I was about to say is that the mouth is a very dirty place. Mm. And often when they punch people and occasionally we might be embarrassed to admit to the fact mm. that we punched somebody uh, and the laceration is somebody's tooth, mm. uh, which has then inoculated lots of bacteria in the, in the wound and very likely the infection has penetrated into the joint as well. It's a vital because the cover of the antibiotic changes and your index of suspicion changes dramatically. Right. Uh, you are more almost very likely, uh, you should guarantee that you're going to get 
an infection if it's related to somebody's mouth. Right, and, and they most likely need a washout. Absolutely. Yes. So an excisional debridement of the wound and okay. washout of the joint has to be considered and an almost must in these circumstances. Okay, very good. Now, we did discuss, you know, hand examination in our last podcast, but if we're looking at this sort of injury, wanting to assess for rotational deformity, I often find it difficult if the patient is unable or unwilling to make you know, a fist. Do you have any tips on how to best assess for this? Sure. I guess it depends. If the reason for this is a fracture, so rotational deformities are often mm-hmm. assessed in the setting of a fracture, which mm-hmm. determines, is one of the determinants as to whether the fracture needs to be treated with surgery mm-hmm. or not surgery. And one of the things to think about is that if you do need to do this before you refer the patient onto the hand surgery service, mm. then it's entirely reasonable to give just a local block to where the fragment the fracture is. Okay. So uh, the periosteum mm-hmm. is the bit of bone which is really sensitive. Yep. So if you literally directly inject into that, okay. you end up getting a block. Okay. And that way you can ask them to bend their finger and you can get a good idea of the rotation. Okay. But often in these settings, it's not necessary because if you've done an x-ray and you've seen a fracture, right. then you know that you need to seek advice right. from a hand surgery service anyway. Yes. Right. So if they don't have enough pain and they can actually show that the cascade of the hand is rotating even with minimal amount of movement in the appropriate plane, then that's fine. Yes. And even if in the appro- appropriate plane, they show more than five to 10 degrees of rotation, depending on which digit you're looking at, yep. then you know already that they're going to have to see a hand surgeon anyway. Right. But either way, mm-hmm. uh, if you were determined to do an examination to mm. see how you could just do a local block, right. a hematoma block, as it's called. Oh, fair enough. And then on the X-ray, they're looking at the de- you know the degree of um, angulation. Degree of angulation Correct. and rotation of the frame. Nice. Yeah. So how should, in the rural department, how should we best manage these patients? Once you've done an Mm -hmm. X-ray, once you've taken a history, done an examination, done an Mm X-ray, I guess it's sensible Mm -hmm. to get advice because you can send the X-rays and X-rays are seeable. And if they they can be treated conservatively, there's a series of guidelines, the hand surgeons will say to you, yep, you can treat these conservatively or we need to see them. Fair enough. So just, yeah, get some advice. That's great. Now, I'd just like to have a discussion about splints that we need yes. to apply because these can be a bit confusing. They can be. Now, an ulnar gutter splint, what yes. injuries do we normally use this for? The most common injury that the ulnar gutter splint is used for is a boxes fracture, okay. which is the fifth metacarpal neck fracture. Mm-hmm. But realistically, if we go back to the principle that fractures are painful because the periosteum is the most sensitive part of the bone. Mm. And any movement in a fractured bone therefore conducts pain. Then a ulnar gutter splint that extends to the tip of the finger would potentially immobilize any of the fractures of the distal phalanx, the middle phalanx, the proximal phalanx, as well as the MCP. Right. Therefore, it would give, because that's why you're doing the, the plaster for. You're doing yes. the plaster not for any other reasons, generally, yes. temporary, until they see a hand surgeon, mm-hmm. for the purposes of pain relief, really, right. uh, to keep the fragments in place so that it doesn't move. Okay. Right? And that's what it's good for. Mm-hmm. But in general, our recommendation is that if you're at all in doubt, always put the hand in the resting position. Mm-hmm. Wrist 30 degrees extended, MCP is at 90 degrees, and all other joints straight. 
So okay. PIP, DIP joint straight. So if you put a volar slab mm-hmm. that puts the hand in that position and extends to the tip of the fingers and wrapped up, you're never going to fail with that. Fantastic. So that would be your position for your radial or your ulnar gutter splint. In that That's position. right. So it would, it, it would do that for, for all of them. So the only setting, so any fracture can mm-hmm. effectively be, of hand fracture can effectively be treated with that in the short term until they see hands at for the volar plate injuries, we've previously discussed yes. that. So that requires a dorsal block in the splint right. so that the hand can be moved, so the digit can be moved so that they don't end up with stiffness in the digit. Oh, fantastic. And radial gutter splints, would that be then for a temporary thing for your um, index so and middle and third metacarpal right. and any second or third digit? That, that's fractures. exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. Oh, that's great. But, but even then, I think you, most people find it more comfortable to have a full volar Plaster. So on the gutters are more useful oh, than right. radial ones. Okay. Um, for the thumb uh, itself, that's um, because forty percent of the hand function is in the thumb. Right. So for the thumb itself, it's the support is a bit different. It's yeah. vital that any uh, support leaves the first web space open because otherwise you end up with a contraction in the first web space. Right. The first web space is very easy. Very easily contracts in an adult within even a matter of week, yes. and that it supports all the way to the tip of their in the uh, thumb. Mm-hmm. So the thumb spiker, for example, right. is made for the same reason. But obviously, we generally recommend not doing a thumb spiker, particularly in the period where things can become swollen, yes. because we always are worried about the risk of tourniquet. So so long as there is a support on the volar aspect the mm-hmm. first web space is kept open mm-hmm. and the joints above and below the fracture are immobilized that's it okay so as you say the ulnar gutter for the um fourth and fifth and then for the other injuries you'd more go often for a volar slab generally speaking a, that's what, what we we do here fantastic that's great and now i've asked been requested to do a posse splint in the past yes now that's it what we just talked about, posi split. It's just position the of position of rest, rest. splints. Fantastic. Okay, now that that's fine. Now, do you have any other advice about splinting in in the emergency department? I think splinting. It depends the cause for which you're putting a splint on. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if it's a fracture that mm-hmm. you're treating, then splinting is above immobilize. It is about immobilizing the joint above and below the fracture. Mm-hmm. If you're splinting for ligamentous injury, mm. then they're different okay. because you need to actually keep in mind that part of ligamentous injury is also mobilization with protection mm. so that the joint doesn't become stiff. Yes. And then, of course, there's splints for mallet finger deformities, which are effectively the same, a mixture of fracture as well as soft tissue deformity. So the nature of your injury very much determines why you're putting a splint on. Right. and how you would apply that splint. Okay. And just one final injury that I thought might be worthwhile that can sometimes, I think, get potentially overlooked is a kid comes off a bike and has an injury to the thumb or your classic sort of skiing injury where your X-ray may be normal, but we obviously need to be aware of an ulnar collateral ligament injury. Absolutely vital. So what you describe is a skier's thumb. And in fact, if you look at my 
right thumb. Mm -hmm. It does demonstrate a skier's thumb. And in actual fact, I got my skier's thumb the week after I finished my fellowship exam. So it took me quite a bit of time to consider whether I was still going to be a microsurgeon after that. Wow. But you're you're absolutely right, because not too infrequently, an X-ray will come back as normal. And if you then don't treat that appropriately, you will end up with a long-term ulnar collateral injury. So just to demonstrate, if I do a pinch grip where I put my index finger against the ulnar aspect of my thumb, so just for your listeners because they can't see my hand, I'll repeat this. So if you make an O with your thumb and your index finger, so you put the tip of your index finger against the ulnar aspect of your um, thumb, which is effectively one of the most rudimentary grips, but also one of the most important grips in our hand function, and you press hard and just have a feel Mm -hmm. of your own MCP, you can see that the bulk of that force is exerted onto the ulnar collateral side. So if the ulnar collateral ligament Mm. is ruptured, and this joint becomes chronically unstable, your grasp is compromised to the point where grasping anything becomes difficult because every time you do that, it dislocates, which is called the gamekeeper's thumb. It it, it has become, and that's really vital. So it's really important in those settings Mm -hmm. that you consider this an injury that has occurred because you don't lose anything by considering that, Mm. that you, as we discussed before, that you keep the first web space open because otherwise it will contract. And if it does contract, it's really difficult to fix in an adult. And you can see it in my thumb. It's Mm. pretty close to normal, but not quite. Mm. And that you put the thumb in an appropriate spiker and you organize an ultrasound because not too infrequently as the ulnar collateral ligament is pulled out, the adductor aponeurosis sweeps across and then the ligament is laying between the adductor mm-hmm. and the collateral ligament. That's called the stennis lesion. Right. And that cannot be fixed without surgery. Right. So it's really important that you have an ultrasonographer who's familiar mm-hmm. with hand ultrasounds yes. and that in these settings, in the meantime, you put them in a spleen, but actually get an ultrasound to confirm that because that will definitely require surgical input. A splint in itself will not be enough. And in terms of testing that, yes. you know, you're immobilizing the first metacarpal. Yes. And then seeing if there's any excess laxity. Yes. I've also come across it being suggested that you test for that in both having the thumb flexed and extended. And I found that slightly confusing. Yeah, that's actually a good question. So um if you look at the examination, if the MCP is a little bit flexed and you examine the radial dislocation at the level of the MCP joints. Mm. So I'm pushing your thumb from the ulnar aspect to the radial aspect while stabilizing your MCP to have a look at how much, I guess, give you have Mm. at the ulnar collateral level. It's very different in a flex position versus in an extended position. And that's related to how the ligaments of the joints are in a resting position. So Mm. we described before that the resting position, which is when the collateral ligaments are at their most taut, Mm. is at 90 degrees. So if I'm, for example, testing the index finger, extent of slack on the Mm. collateral ligament is very different at 90 degrees versus 180 degrees. And that's the principle behind that idea in hand examination as to why you should do it both in extension and flexion. Right. But at the end of the day, vitally important is a high index of suspicion. Yes. If you think somebody has got an ulnar collateral injury, even if they don't have an ulnar collateral injury, treat it as if they have an ulnar collateral injury and then get an ultrasound and confirm that they don't have a stennis lesion. 
Because chronic ulnar collateral injuries have got terrible surgical outcomes in terms of the amount of reliability. A stenosis lesion, which is treated in an acute setting, has got a very good reliable outcome. A chronic ulnar collateral ligament injury, which is seen at four or six weeks down the track when eventually somebody's worked out that this is an unstable hand, their outcomes are not great because you have to reconstruct the ligaments and you have to put the ligaments into place, often using palmaris longus um, slings and things like that. And they just do not give you a, a, a reliable, good enough outcome. And not too infrequently, they end up with fusion of that particular joint, the MCP joint. Right. Oh, no, that's very helpful. And I, I think one of the situations which I think is a bit risky at times in a busy emergency department is the patient that's gone off and had an X-ray and, and someone you know says to the, the doctor who's very busy, X-ray's fine, can they go? That's a potential area of, um, of missing injuries. Absolutely. So I think it's important just to have a think and, and re-examine the patient or think of other injuries apart from the bony ones before we discharge. Absolutely. So um, any other last-minute advice before we finish up today? I think the same conversation that we had last time. Hand surgery units are always happy to give advice Great. because it's a subspecialist service. And we are always grateful when somebody calls and asks our advice versus us seeing the patient two or three months down the track where some things cannot be undone. Fantastic. And the New South Wales Emergency Care Institute Emergency Procedures app actually has information and videos on a number of back slabs and splints. So thanks so much, Dr. Fahadieh, for giving your time and sharing your knowledge with me today. Thank you for having me. Great. Really appreciate it.